the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you kindly, and uh, welcome. Good to have you with us. The 18th day of July for a Tuesday, just in case you weren't (laughs) on top of all those important details. And five minutes after the hour of 5 o'clock, as you uh, wind your way home or prepare dinner, whatever might be on your agenda, an honor and privilege that you have once again invited me into your home, your car, wherever you might be at, to uh, spend a bit of time today together and to talk about some important things going on in this world of ours. Let me um, mention, we'll have an update for you a bit later on in the first hour tonight regarding uh, what we may ultimately call our salt and light report. You know, that preservative end of things. We've been sharing with you this troubling, growing trend of marijuana stores cropping up all over the state of California, and uh, now certain um, certain municipalities are getting bolder and bolder. They smell revenue, and so they're dispensing with even the most minuscule modicum of protective measures to try to make sure that in their efforts to try and bring more revenue to a city that they're not causing irreparable damage by inviting drug abuse in as well. And of course, all the attending uh, violence and traffic and things of that sort. So uh, we've updated with you uh, late last week pertaining to what has happened in the bedroom community of Union City as a troubling example for all of us. And I'll have a bit of an update for you a little bit later on in tonight's program. But I want to start first with the Federal Trade Commission, not an organization that most of us think of very often, not an organization that's in the news very much. Oh, every now and then they they might find something that uh, would suggest a company has been misbehaving and call it to all of our attention and announce that they've, you know, handed down fines or asked for rebates or refunds, things of this sort. But for the most part, it's just one of those um, alpha alphabet soup letter organizations out of Washington, D.C. that not many of us pay much attention to. But boy, it's getting some attention these days, the FTC is, to very high-profile cases where essentially uh, we're beginning to learn that there are some problems within the Federal Trade Commission. Um, Most recently, and we'll talk about this with my first guest, um, court stepped in and said, hey, uh, that whole business of you coming in to stop the acquisition of Activision by Microsoft. Yeah, you can't do that. And so a bit of a black eye there, but another black eye in the offing, as we're about to learn from Jerry Boyer. Jerry, of course, is an economist, public speaker, and is the author of Affluent Investor Daily. And Jerry, always a delight to have you join us on the program with your great insights and knowledge. 
Thank you, Craig. Great to be with you. So um, a couple of big things here on the sort of FTC bad boy agenda these days. But I want to start with one that I think perhaps a greater percentile of folks will be aware of, certainly here in the San Francisco Bay Area, home to Twitter. And of course, there was the the much um, heralded slash maligned acquisition of Twitter by Elon Musk for $44 billion some while ago. And um, some of what's been going on in relationship to the Federal Trade Commission, Elon Musk and Twitter has a, a bit of history that even sort of mildly predates Elon. But for the most part, um, there's a new report out that's quite troubling because it's offered by a completely non-pulsed, independent, don't have a dog in this hunt third party and one that's got a pretty sterling reputation as um, as being a um, an accounting firm uh, that quite often is responsible for bringing accountability uh, to many big organizations if folks that occasionally maybe watch even the Oscars you'll know that they are responsible for keeping secret the names of the winners until it's announced on stage during the Academy Awards I'm referring of course to Ernst and Young the uh, the huge um, independent firm and uh, they're coming forward with some some information related to pressure that's being put, you know, the old thumb on the scale by uh, the Federal Trade Commission in relationship to Twitter and um, its handling of companies' privacy data, things of this sort, in such a way that's raising quite a few eyebrows. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, well, the FTC um, seems to be kind of engaged. Well, first of all, it, it seems to be kind of getting beyond its actual statutory powers. These alphabet agencies um, are the creations of Congress, so they can't have authority that Congress doesn't give them. Um, and the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, and the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, uh, in the Biden administration, have definitely gotten into over-control and excessive use of power. Um, I mean, it's really hard to argue that the Microsoft's acquisition of Activision is in any way harmful <laughs> to, to trade. I mean, we have giant technology companies. Microsoft doesn't have anything like a monopoly uh, in software. Um, Activision doesn't have anything like a monopoly uh, in computer games. Uh, so, you know, the acquisition of one company by another, there'll still be a robust um, competition in that sector. And, and there are reasons to believe that there was sort of the Lena Khan, who's the head of the FTC, the Biden appointee, uh, has kind of gotten beyond her ken. And part of that might be the uh, settlement agreement from 2022 um, that involved Elon Musk and Twitter. Um, and it looks like that's being brought into question and, you know, will be reversed um, as an act of overreach. It's kind of similar to the act of overreach with the executive order from Biden to, I mean, they call it debt forgiveness, student debt forgiveness, but it's not debt forgiveness, it's debt restructuring. The debt is moved from people who uh, went to college and probably graduate school um, and put it on to taxpayers. So it's the same pattern over and over again. The executive 
executive branch is accruing to itself power and seems to be using it in political ways. Musk used to be a, Musk was a darling of the left for a while. I mean, after all, Solar City, you know, Solar Company, electric vehicles. Uh, but he began to question ESG, environmental social governance, uh, investing, which is a way that you bring liberal politics into investing. Uh, he be- became a free speech absolutist. Um, he criticized some of the ways in which Twitter was suppressing content. And so he's become an enemy of the left and you know, looks like an enemy of the FTC. And there's pushback about that. And, of course, the pushback, as suggested by this report released by um, Ernst & Young, suggesting that this wasn't just simply Ernst & Young, again, as, as being a neutral party here to kind of evaluate what was going on within the company, to, to take a look at the policies and procedures in place, and to essentially come up with an independent report. But now Ernst & Young leadership is suggesting um, that there was, from very explicit instructions given to Ernst & Young by the Federal Trade Commission that essentially, and I'm quoting here now, um, that they expected Ernst & Young to, quote, perform and convey expectations about what the results should be before they had right. even begun their investigation. And that list of so-called FTC expectations, according to Ernst & Young, read more like a list of demands, raising some serious concerns by Ernst & Young's leadership as to whether or not if they did not complete the assignment and deliver a report in the form and fashion and with the, uh, shall we say, bias that was being suggested by the FTC that somehow they themselves, uh, meaning Ernst & Young, could run afoul of the FCC if they didn't complete the assessment exactly as desired, which just takes that entire sense of let's be independent, let's be fair, let's be equitable, innocent until proven guilty, kind of flushes that right down the toilet, doesn't it? Yeah, and Ernst is taking a real risk here by you know coming out and saying this, right? Because, I mean, the government, you know, they've kind of got their their boot on their neck already. Um, so these these big accounting firms. I used to work for one. My first job out of college was working for Arthur Anderson and Company, which was the largest of the big six accounting firms. May, may so, they rest in peace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a great point. May they rest in peace, because Arthur Anderson and Company uh, was accused by the Securities and Exchange Commission in the Enron scandal. Um, it was accused of fraud. In other words, the idea was you're in on it. Not Ben Ron was lying to you, but that you were part of the lie. Um, And when the SEC kind of put its thumb on the scale, that was it for Arthur Anderson. 80,000 people out of work uh, because they basically need, they have, they have a, a, what amounts to a license granted by the Securities and Exchange Commission to have their audits recognized. If you're not recognized by the SEC, that's it. You're out of business. Well, what happened is Arthur Anderson went to court and they went to the appeals court and they took it up to the federal court and they were found not guilty. But they're still dead. <laughs> it's sort of like appealing after the death penalty um, with these. So these agencies have uh, and, and finding the person's innocent. But guess what? Doesn't matter. Um, so these agencies really have the power to destroy these independent auditors whose job is to 
accurately uh, or to attest that when companies are out there saying this is our earnings, these are our assets, that they accurately or materially reflect the underlying financial conditions. They don't guarantee accuracy. You can't with any like giant company. Uh, but basically, th- th- this is basically telling the truth. Uh, if they don't have that ability, if they, if they don't have the ability to be independent, um, then they lose their function, which I think is actually a theological function. The function of attestation, or the function of saying, somebody saying, that person is telling the truth, that company is telling the truth to banks, or that company is telling the truth to investors, that's, really, that's a truth function, that's a moral function. And if the government comes along and says, don't tell the truth, uh, or this, this is the truth will allow you to conclude. And so if you're not coming to this conclusion, uh, oh, you're in trouble. So come to this other conclusion. I mean, in essence, they're baking lies into the financial system that's highly destabilized. Well, moreover, so what, what is so, I, I think what is so disquieting here, too, um, the whole notion, Jerry, that the reason why that independent audit is brought in in the first place is, again, there's, there's no preconceived notions. Nobody has an axe to grind. We're going to come in. You're going to present the information. We're going to look at it. We're going to evaluate it. Certainly an organization like the Federal Trade Commission has neither the resources nor the expertise to conduct such an audit. And were they capable of doing so? If even they had the manpower to do so, there would be severe questions about whether or not the conclusions were biased. Therefore, the reason why the word independent appears in the phrase independent audit. But if you take the independent part out, do you even have an audit? Is it even worth the paper that it's written on? We're going to find out next as we continue our conversation. Jerry Barber is with us today. Jerry is an economist, public speaker, and a frequent guest on many radio and TV programs across the country, including this one. He is also, coincidentally, the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily, information available on the web. And uh, we'll share that with you in a moment. Right now, though, let's share with you this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back. Our conversation today with uh, a name that you might recognize. Uh, you've certainly, perhaps, if you ever uh, spend time with either Forbes or the Wall Street Journal, will know the name Jerry Boyer. He is the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. Information on the web at affluentinvestor.com. We're talking today about um, a bit of a slap on the wrist that the Federal Trade Commission has received in, uh, as Jerry um, sort of characterizes it, a a pretty bold move by the independent auditing firm Ernst & Young to basically come forward to go public and say, hey, you know, we were given this assignment by the Federal Trade Commission to take a look at some of the policies and procedures related to uh, privacy protection, data management, etc., etc., at Twitter, and uh, this is a case where we were handed the conclusion before we even opened the first uh, ledger, and that's Particularly troubling, I think, Jerry, because as I suggested before the break, if you take the word independent out of independent audit, then my goodness, there's nothing that any of us can believe. There's nobody that either speaks up for the truth or holds individuals accountable. And, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, if Twitter has done something wrong, if they've broken the law, if they have violated the trust of the public, their, their, uh, their user terms, things of this sort, absolutely they should be held accountable for. But what if they didn't do any of those things? Do you hold them accountable just because somebody at the FTC says, 
yeah, you know, I don't like Elon Musk and I don't want to pay eight bucks for a blue check. So let's just let's make life miserable for him. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. Musk got himself on the enemies list. And it's really weird to see how Musk and then later Twitter, how they went from, you know, from the uh, uh, from the favored to the disfavored in in mere moments. Right. Um, you know, they, they the um, one of the uh, largest uh, mutual funds dropped them from their sustainability, their ESG sustainability fund, uh, which where they had been for a long time. And they and when I read the report about why they made the change, it was, well, somebody made an accusation of racism. Uh, by the way, that was 2018. So wait, they didn't figure that out till. 2022, you know. <laughs> and by the way, if it was 20, if it was 2018, that had absolutely nothing to do with Elon Musk because he wasn't anywhere near that building in 2018. Well, that's Twitter, but I'm talking. I'm talking about Tesla. Oh, Tesla. Tesla. Oh, yeah, Tesla. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, and, and it's really. I've, I've noticed this is something really strange. I really follow these um, uh, these proxy services and the, the ESG movement pretty carefully, uh, and they have always opposed resolutions. They always talk about human rights, etc. But when friends of mine, allies of mine, have put proposals on the ballot that say, "Listen, when you look at these electric vehicles and these batteries, uh, there's some pretty troubling." stuff in the supply chain. Cobalt and chromium mines with child slaves working and getting cancer. So, hey, maybe you, uh, you know, the, you companies that are bragging about your electric batteries, maybe you ought to look into, uh, are you giving children cancer in the making of those batteries? Okay? And so, they've always opposed those resolutions. They always want to know if there's a problem in the supply chain, except if there's a problem in the supply chain for electric vehicles, because those are green darlings. Well, those groups just started asking about Tesla's supply chain just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I even called them out on this saying, wait a minute, you never cared about this before. But now that Elon Musk is a conservative, or and actually he's not even a conservative, he's just a liberal as opposed to a leftist. I mean, he's not a conservative yet. He's a free speech absolutist. He's just what liberals were like 10 years ago. Now all of a sudden they want, they want to dig in and well, what, what about privacy and what about the you know, that's, that's Twitter or you know what about the supply chain for your electric vehicles well you loved the electrical, electric vehicles and you didn't care about maybe ki- uh, kids getting cancer you know mining for the chromium until Elon Musk basically went against the ruling class on free speech issues, questioned the Fauci narrative and all the rest of it um, and was a free speech advocate and and then bought Twitter and then started, you know, he dismantled the system of uh, basically the, the royalty system of you're a blue check media person. You're better than everybody else. That everyone can be a blue check. You just have to buy blue check. And no, I'm not going to kick people off Twitter just because you don't like their positions. And all of a sudden he's a public, a public enemy and he appears on an enemies list. And then organizations like the Federal Trade Commission and the SEC, which are supposed to be non-political. That's what that's what the, that's where the C's come from. That that C FTC SEC FCC all those C's that all stands for commission. And the idea was originally these aren't going to be political. So this isn't going to be directly under the control of the president or the Congress because they're political. We're going to put experts in charge of these commissions. We're going to take the best and the brightest and people. They're going to be untouchable. They're going to be above all the politics 
and then we can count on them to be honest. And instead, what happens is if you're a big donor or you're ideologically aligned with the president, you get the appointment, and then you're going after the president's enemies. And that's basically what this has been reduced to. You know, I'll be first to admit, because uh, I'm I'm literally in the backyard of Tesla, that um, Elon Musk, at least in this town, has long been a bit of a lightning rod of controversy. And I think you can find as many people that adore him in this town as they, they malign him. Uh, he's certainly a bit of a controversial figure because he's, you know, he's a bit of a cut, cut from a different piece of cloth, put it that way, as as uh, as CEOs go. I mean, particularly if you if you'd want to, you know, try to compare him with somebody like, um, you know, a, a, a Tim Cook or a Steve Jobs or or even going further back than that, um, uh, Hewlett or Packard. But that said, it still doesn't excuse the behavior that the FTC would literally try to force their will and preconceived notions on the independent honor. And it it, it really ought to be troubling. But, you know, it's interesting, too, as I mentioned, Jerry, in my opening remarks, this is not the only time that the Federal Trade Commission has been in the news this week and not in a good way. Uh, There's also the issue of a court stepping in and putting a stop to what was essentially an attempt by the Federal Trade Commission to prevent the acquisition of Activision by Microsoft. I want to talk about that when we come back and also maybe just dive a little bit deeper into this whole notion of the alphabet soup uh, getting way too big for their britches, particularly when so many of these organizations have uh, very limited, if at all, degrees of accountability and, and perhaps certainly directly to the public, the taxpayers, zero direct accountability. Jerry Boyer with us today. He is an economist. He is a frequent columnist for such uh, esteemed publications as Forbes and Wall Street Journal. And uh, you know him through Affluent Investor Daily. Information available on the web at affluentinvestor.com. A brief time out back with more as our conversation continues here on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, if you would consider the purchase or acquisition of a major hardware manufacturer like Xbox, which is owned by Microsoft, to acquire a major gaming company like Activision, which is the owner probably best known of Call of Duty for those of you that are under 65, or maybe even younger, uh, probably would think, yeah, that, that would kind of make sense. But apparently it did not to the Federal Trade Commission. They tried to block the deal. And uh, just yesterday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, right here in our backyard, said to the FTC that, yeah, their, um, their attempt to try to go against Microsoft's acquisition, not a good idea. Uh, California Judge Jacqueline Scott denied the FTC request for a preliminary injunction in the case to block Microsoft and Xbox from acquiring Call of Duty Maker. The FTC sought this preliminary injunction to have the court order the tech giant to cease in its attempt of acquiring Activision for a colossal $69 billion. Following the court ruling, the FTC had until July the 14th to file an appeal. It did so on July 12th, and along came the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals that said, yep, nope, 
hope that's not going to happen. Big win for Microsoft, and uh, I guess you know they certainly, on the surface, are charged with the responsibility of uh, of protecting consumer interests in a, in the broadest sense of the word. But as we learned today from Jerry Boyer, who is a well known economist and a frequent contributor to both Forbes and the Wall Street Journal, he of course publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily. Um, Jerry, it just seems as if they are overreaching their authority. And as I hinted before the break, this is yet another example of this alphabet soup of agencies out of Washington, D.C. that are not answerable uh, by any form or fashion directly to the public whatsoever. And yet they have a profound ability to influence all of our lives for the good or for the bad. And it raises certain questions just uh, to the heart of this whole issue of accountability. Yeah, it does. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know whether this is a good deal or not. I think that Microsoft is a highly competent company. Uh, so I think they're generally the best judge of whether this is a good acquisition. It looks good on the surface. By the way, I'm not a fan of the Microsoft company. I, com- I confronted Brad Smith at the annual meeting this year about their support for abortion. So I'm not, I'm not a Microsoft fanboy who's just going to take their side automatically. Um, and frankly, I'm concerned about excess video game usage among young people. Hey, and listen, Jerry, and anybody that sat in front of their computer drumming their thumbs waiting for a Microsoft update to install, <laughs> they're probably not big fans either, right? <laughs> You're right, and always just about when I have an important meeting. It was just yesterday. I Oh, important Zoom meeting, right? And, uh, all right, I'm going to my computer, and, oh, it's not working. Oh, it's forcing an update just now. Yep. But, but you know, it's, I mean, it's good software. That's why we use it. I just wish they'd stay out of the political stuff. Um, you know, I, I mean, they, they complain about having a lack of programmers, and, you know, they mentioned on their podcast how we, didn't, we need to teach grandparents how to, you know, how to uh, write apps. No, we need to not kill 70 million people um, like we did with abortion we and we have a we have a shortage of programmers because we have a shortage of people we have a shortage of people because of Roe versus Wade so no Microsoft you shouldn't be complaining using shareholder resources when the court finally undoes that atrocious ruling so I'm not inclined to be favorable towards Microsoft but this is private property in a marketplace it is it, it is not it does not um, hurt consumers it is not a monopoly it's not even a monopoly of video games but one of the problems with this, the FTC is really big on this antitrust thing. So basically, because Xbox is big and Activision is big, it's like, well, they'll have a big proportion of the video game market. But the video game market is not a market. Entertainment is a market, right? So you can play video games, or you can stream something, or you can listen to Spotify, or you can listen to podcasts, or you can listen to the radio show right now. So just having a big chunk of the video game market isn't really that's not a market in and of itself. It's a subdivision of the entertainment market. Uh, and so there's no threat to consumers. And by the way, the video, video games are improving very, very quickly. I mean, that's one of the problems. They're so good, they're addictive. Uh, they look like movies almost now. Can anyone really argue that we've had a lack of innovation and competition in the video game market? That's absolutely ridiculous. It's a disruptive industry that's taken a generation of people away from the TV onto video games. So where they play, like you said, like hours and hours a day. So what is this all about? 
this is all about control. That's what it's about. It's not about antitrust. It's antitrust as an excuse to control by an expert class. And this goes back 100 years to the progressive movement, when before that, the idea under the Constitution is that government is largely responsive to the electorate. We elect people, and then they do what we say. And if they don't do what we say, we elect different people. And some people, the Ivy League and the old WASP elite said, well, we can't have that. We have all these swarthy people coming from around the country, and we don't know who they're going to elect. Well, we need experts from the Ivy League, and we'll appoint them to commissions where they'll stay. So even if we lose an election, our experts will still stay in charge, and they'll be above all the politics and above the fray. And what happened, of course, is the experts were every bit as corruptible as the politicians, but they weren't as unelectable. You can, you can impeach politicians, or you can just not reelect them. But these people who are in these commissions, they have much longer terms, and they become kind of a permanent government. And they are now our lords and masters, and they were trying to assert their power to control these companies. And the judicial branch, thank God, there's still a little independence left, said, no, Congress didn't give you this authority. And if Congress doesn't give an agency authority, the agency doesn't have that authority, even if the agency thinks it should. Yeah, which which makes absolute perfect sense. And again, as I suggested before, you know, the, the, the further you move away from the electorate and the degree of accountability at the ballot box, I think the more emboldened you become to, quite frankly, start to go off the rails and bring a little bit of your own agenda at play. And so it's less and less about, well, we got to make sure we're doing what's going to be ultimately and always in the best interest of the voters and taxpayers, um, but instead... Instead, well, you know, we've we've got this agenda and that agenda, and we're going to use our power to execute on that agenda, whatever that might look like. And 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 clearly, there seems to be a more than growing body of evidence to suggest that that's what's been at play here with the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, why the axe to grind with with Twitter? Who knows? But it's clearly there. And the biggest one is the Fed. That, that cult of the expert, it started a whole alphabet soup, SEC, FTC, later on under Carter, the EPA. But the biggest one by far was the Fed. We have to put experts in charge of money. Not a gold standard, like the founders said, like we had 4,000 years of history. Nope, we need an expert class. And is there an institution, I mean, with all the failures we've talked about with the FTC now and the Securities and Exchange Commission and the EPA and all the rest of them, is there more a more failed institution than the institution that's supposed to guard the purchasing power of our dollar? No. We've had, we got up to 10% inflation, and we got to the point where they're, they're now squeezing us down into a low-growth economy, maybe a recession, to deal with the inflation, which they never should have allowed happen, to happen, which they denied was happening when it happened, which they denied would be persistent when it was undeniable, <laughs> and which they said would go away quickly and is still with us. So I think, you know, we, Craig, one of the things that one of the blessings that I'm seeing right now, I mean, it's a curse and a blessing. Uh, there's a lot of things going wrong with our institutions. But one of the blessings is the cult of the disinterested intellectual expert is dead. We don't believe the WHO. We don't believe the CDC. We don't believe the FTC, the SEC, the Fed. We don't believe them anymore. You know, that's we don't believe them because of their terrible mistakes and their mistakes are tragic. 
tragic, but the not believing them is, in fact, progress. Well, yes, and and I think more and more people are also beginning to understand, and, you know, critically important that that be the case, that there are organizations like the Fed that we think, well, this this is an organization that, that clearly is a part of the government. No, it's not. It, it, while it has some degree of oversight insofar as who ends up getting appointed as the chairman, for example, it's essentially a private bank. Yeah, it kind of functions as the, the central bank, but in the loosest of terms, uh, certainly in comparison to uh, so-called central banks of other nations, and and that three or four degrees of separation from true accountability is what has allowed it to make a lot of really bad decisions for a long time. They may they may make decisions that make sense sometimes for their their voting members, but uh, in recent memory, certainly seldom making good decisions that are to the benefit of the general populace of the United States. That's for sure. Right. When the president leaves, the Fed chairman that he uh, appointed doesn't leave. That's right. <laughs> they stay around. Um, and and the expert class that they gather around themselves, the kind of the deep state. And I don't mean that in a conspiratorial sense. I just mean that sociologically. People who are part of the state for a long time, who are always there no matter who the president is, those folks, they don't leave. And there are governors. And I, what we need is the courts. This is amazing. I never expected to see this, but the courts are actually pushing back and saying to the administrative state, you only have the authority which the Congress explicitly gives you. That I mean, I don't know how far the judicial branch is willing to go in that direction, but they're moving in the right direction. Um, and you know, we we can be. We, I don't know how free we're going to get, but I, I think part of it is the overreach. The, you know, the blessing for the righteous is when the arrogant are overreach. The FTC is overreaching. Why? That's why they're getting spanked by the courts. The Securities and Exchange Commission, the EPA, got spanked by the courts a couple of years ago for the same reason. So as these agencies become more arrogant and overreach, the judicial branch comes along and says, whoa, you've gone too far, and starts to strip powers away that they've abused. Yeah, and, uh, you know, each one of these actions also shine a little bit more light, and if there's anything we need in this world these days, it's more light. Jerry Boyer, economist, frequent contributor to Forbes and the Wall Street Journal, publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily online at affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com. Jerry, as always, we appreciate the time and your valuable insights. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Uh, let me put a bit of a disclaimer in here. I realize for some of you here in the, the greater northern California reach of KFAX might say, if this is a statewide issue, but Craig, it's a local municipality. Well, the story that I'm about to share, the update, is, a, I think, a, a bit of an object lesson for all of us. When we have talked in the past, both recent, midterm, and distant, distant past, for those of you have been around for more than a few years to the station in this program. You know, we've talked about the importance of getting involved in having your voice counted. And governance of the nation is as important as governance of the city as it is the governance of a local municipality. People of good character should get involved with the local school board, city council, things of this sort. Because today's school board member is tomorrow's mayor, is next week's member of the assembly, is next year's uh, member of the House, is next year's senator, is next year's president. You get the idea. Seldom does somebody rise to the top in politics without having begun 
one degree or another at a local level. I'm not saying it never happens, but normally the trajectory is local stuff uh, for a county, city, a school board, community college district, and on your way up the ladder. So this gets to the heart of why it's important to pick the right people and the dangers that ensue to a community and the quality of life when the wrong people get voted in. So we've been following a bit of the salt and light story related to Union City, who just a week ago on a three-to-one vote, the city council there, ignoring pleas from area residents and approved, turned around and approved the city's third recreational marijuana store, the first pot shop to be permitted in an entirely residential neighborhood in the city. Council member Jeff Wang, District 3, recused himself from the vote. Mayor Carol Dutra Vernacci, Council member Jaime Patino, District 2, Council member Scott Sakakihara, District 4, all voted in favor of the pot store, with Vice Mayor Gary Singh, District 1, the only council member voting no. There was apparently, it's according to some information that I was given, apparently during a contentious three-hour city council meeting, well over 60 residents of the Cherrywood area of Union City urged the council to protect children, senior citizens, and families in the area from crime, traffic, and violence associated with recreational marijuana stores, but sadly, to no avail. Speakers in support of the move were all from out of town, employees and friends of applicant Ray Gonzalez of something called Embark Cannabis, which is apparently the name of the store that wants to go into this um, residential um, little strip mall. The owners of a popular restaurant in the strip mall, Baldi's, also spoke in favor of the pot shop, although it was never publicly disclosed during the meeting. <laughs> You love it. Shed some light. Yeah. It was never publicly disclosed during the meeting. Baldi's owns the Cherrywood Center where the pot shop would locate and thus has a direct financial benefit by renting the storefronts to the marijuana seller, putting apparently profits over the families who have supported Baldi's restaurant. The existing, the two existing recreational marijuana stores located in commercial areas of Union City, specifically something called Lemonade, that's misspelled or not. Lemonade at 3545 Union City Boulevard. If you live in that town, you probably know it. And Floor at 3100 Courthouse Drive in Union Landing have apparently repeatedly been targets of burglaries and armed robberies. Lemonade has broken windows due to a recent burglary. And as recent as July 7th, a person was shot at Floor pot dispensary after violent armed suspects forced their way into the store after being met by unarmed on-site security, the second burglary attempt at the location in two weeks. Moreover, apparently applicant Ray Gonzalez estimates that as many as get this 1,200 cars daily will patronize the 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. business in this residential area seven days a week. So much for the peace and quiet enjoyment of that part of Union City. Uh, it goes on to say, Union City police officials at the meeting admitted no traffic impact survey had ever been conducted. Wow. Now, this will wake you up. See if it doesn't sound familiar to your own community. Over the last four years, crime is up in Union City. Robbery up 10 percent, 
aggravated assault up 15%, personal property theft up 37%, and automobile theft up a whopping 116%. Wow. So, clearly there's some problems, and they're going to invite even more, apparently, all because they think it's going to, I don't know, bring more revenue in. What a shame. The mayor, members of the city council, should be making Union City safer for children, families, and senior citizens. Union City, by the way, was once named All-America City, a very prestigious national award, not given to many towns at all. I think only 10 cities in the entire country a year are granted this. And it's based on quality of life and living conditions, the quality of education, taxes. Many factors apparently go into winning the All-America City Award. And Union City, in fact, had received that. It's also, as I was reminded by a colleague here, um, Union City is known as, quote, the uh, gateway to Silicon Valley. (laughs) which apparently now, with the third recreational marijuana drugstore in town, is going to change up their city slogan to the gateway to drug abuse. You are urged to say no to placing Union City's third recreational marijuana store in a residential area near children's schools, places of worship, senior citizen housing, And in what had been, at least up until this ill-conceived move by the three members of the city council, what was a quiet residential family neighborhood. Wow. So if you live in Union City, you got some work to do because you're going to have more problems. I mean, it's already apparent from wire service stories, and I I researched some of the details related to um, the reporting here concerning these other two existing recreational marijuana locations, that they have been plagued by robberies, by burglaries, and even violent robbery at the hands of a gun. Somebody got shot barely two weeks ago. And you know that, and you're in the city council, and they think, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's do this anyway, and got a better idea. Instead of putting it in a area that is largely all commercial, I mean, big shopping center type area, similar to what, uh, probably uh, the Hub uh, or New Park Mall, that's Union Landing. So one of these retail marijuana stores is in a, a location like that. Well, at least that's all commercial. But instead, they decided, now let's put it into a residential neighborhood. And the kids, you know, if they smoke a little pot every now and then, why worry? Well, there's a report here from the National Institutes of Health indicating that heavy use of marijuana by teens and young adults with mood disorders, disorders rather, such as depression and bipolar disorder, have been linked to an increased risk of self-harm, suicide attempts, according to a 2021 study. In addition, regular marijuana use can consistently lead to reduced educational attainment and in adults results to poor work performance and dangerous driving, and driving while high. These consequences may be worse in regular and heavy users, that according to a report by a physician at a university in Canada. So if you're listening and you're from Union City and you want to protect your community, you don't think the city needs three 
marijuana recreational stores, then uh, you need to contact, at least in my mind, the three folks that voted in favor of this nonsense. Mayor Carol Dutra Vernacci. You can email her at carold at unioncity.org. That's Carol D. Dutra, Carol Dutra Vernacci, Carol D at UnionCity.org. Council member Jaime Patino at Jaime, H, that's spelled J A I M E, initial P, Jaime P at UnionCity.org. And council member Scott Sakakihara, Scott S at UnionCity.org. And one more you might want to reach out to, and that is Chief of Police Jared Renetti. I mean, the police department really want to take on this additional burden? They just had a shooting, by the way, in the Dakota District today, which is not far from where this is located. So what they're going to do is they're going to invite crime and violence deeper into the residential sections of Union Cities. Not enough that exist around the periphery, up along Mission Boulevard and uh, the, the border with Hayward. Let's invite it right deep into... The residential section of Union City. What's ironic is this is apparently not all that far from the police department. Well, at least they won't have far to go when <laughs> when there's a robbery or a break-in. They won't have far to go to respond. How embarrassing it ought to be for Union City Mayor Carol Dutra-Vernacci, Council Member Jaime Patino, and Council Member Scott Sakakihara to vote in favor of something like this and put it in a residential neighborhood. Now, if you think if you think this can't happen in your town, you've got a big surprise coming. Because as more communities are facing financial challenges, revenues from property taxes are down, revenues from sales taxes are down, expenses are up, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, city councils like that of Union City are going to get more and more creative. And as they get creative, that might mean, hey, let's invite more pot stores into our neighborhood or start inviting them in. If you're in Union City, you need to get a hold of your member of the city council. In fact, maybe email all five of them and say, stop this madness. This has no place in what once was a quiet, respectable, all-America city that apparently has gone its way from being the gateway to Silicon Valley to now becoming, thanks to three members of the Union City City Council, the gateway to drug abuse. Time to say no to placing Union City's third recreational marijuana store in a residential area near schools, places of worship, even across the street from a senior citizen complex. Can you believe it? If you live in Union City or work there, email the Union City Council and let them know this is a really bad idea. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.